Well, good morning. My name is Luke Johnston. I'm the associate pastor here of Young People and uh, Discipleship. And I warmly welcome here to First Covenant Church. If I haven't met you before or shook your hand, I'd love to. I'd love to meet you. Um, I just want to give you a, 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 not congratulations, but a compliment. Um, when we started our first song and we started clapping, you guys can clap. That's a big deal. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church and um, they couldn't help but clap on the offbeat or every beat of the song. So I actually helped with help lead worship. I was like, no, don't clap, don't clap. So the fact that you guys can clap, that just adds to your list of, of great things here at the church. I digress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, lead us. Overcome this flesh and bone, Lord. Overcome this pastor, this congregation, this building, Lord. Speak to us. Convict us. Work your will in us, God. May Jesus be glorified. May his cross be lifted high and change us, God. May we leave this place a changed people. It's in your name. Amen. So usually we do have um, someone come who will read the scripture, but today I've decided to make it a part of the passage, so I will read through it. And the scripture is from Acts chapter 2, this is the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So there are Bibles underneath your seats, um, if you want to grab those or your electronic device, whatever, your parchment, whatever you have. And there's also some note, uh, note papers underneath your seats. Hopefully there are. We tried to keep replenishing those. Please, if you can take notes or on, in your Bible, take notes. As I always say, the devil hates it when we take notes. Helps you remember. As many as you teachers probably know that, writing some things down. So we've been going through this series this summer called Life Together. And we've had many different topics we've been going over. And I want to caveat with this, that within the church, I don't automatically assume that we all use the same language. Within the Christian circle, there can be what we call Christianese, the Christian language, which is there's different kinds of words or phrases that we use that can sometimes be kind of odd or like, what is that word? I think discipleship is becoming more of one of those terms. It's not necessarily a word, even disciple, something that we use I'm outside of the church that often. So it's always good for us to define it and define it biblically. So disciple, this is one who accepts and assists in the spreading the ideas of another. Otherwise, a, a convinced follower, a convinced follower. Now, in the Bible, particularly when Jesus comes on the scene, we learn that discipleship is not an option. If you're going to be a part of Christ's work in the world, you must become a disciple. You must follow. As it says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said this, And calling the crowd to him and his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As we can see in this, this picture, this is the church. Carrying your cross together, united, following Christ. Jesus also, in the Great Commission, after his resurrection, he's speaking directly to the disciples and those in the room. And he says, it says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Luke 24, this is right after the the road to Emmaus where Jesus has been resurrected. Um, there's kind of a little bit of chaos. I'm not sure what's going on. And these, this, there's two followers of Christ that are going to this town called Emmaus outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus shows up and he explains, says he explains to them the scriptures from the beginning of Moses, from Abraham, Abraham to Moses and on. He explains to them the scriptures and concluding with the Messiah. It then says Jesus in, in Luke 24 is before his disciples and says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That is the Old Testament. Repentance and forgiveness. The New Testament of sins that should be proclaimed. So Jesus showed them the vast narrative. He showed them the prophets. He showed them the covenant with Abraham and how this has led to the Messiah, Yeshua, the anointed one. And then he showed them how now the time is calling upon repentance and forgiveness of sins. So this leads us to Acts. And Acts is the book of the Bible about the church post the ministry of Jesus. And what essentially happens is Jesus, after he's resurrected, he comes to the apostles and he says, wait on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power and in glory. and He's going to give you all the help, all the advocacy you need to fulfill this commission. But you got to wait on the Spirit. So the apostles, they get together in the upper room. There's about 120 of them with the apostles and various followers. They just replaced Judas for the 12th disciple. And they're waiting and they're not quite sure and they're, they're a little bit anxious. They don't know what's going on. And Passover is going on in Jerusalem. Past all these people, hundreds of thousands of people are coming to Passover. It's this huge, huge feast going on in Jerusalem. And tons and tons of Jews from around the world are coming into the city. And at that time, the Holy Spirit comes upon them with fire and with power and anoints them. And they all begin to prophesy, prophesy and to speak into, uh, speak in tongues, various different languages. And Peter, of all people, A disciple of Jesus who looks a lot like you and I, who was quick to draw his sword, was quick to stand up and and run away and didn't know exactly what was going on all the time, gets up in front of all these people from different nations, different backgrounds, and begins to preach the gospel, preach the scriptures that Jesus had told them about. And it says that day that 3,000 people were brought to the Lord and the church exploded. And here we are at the end of Acts chapter 2. It says this, starting with verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, as Jesus commanded. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now a church of 3,120, something of that number. They were continually, it says the church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, the twelve. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind 
in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So from this passage, what I have concluded and many others have as well, are five marks of Christian discipleship. Now remember, discipleship is not an option. It really is what the church does. It disciples. Now here are the five marks of what that means. So it says here that they were devoted to teaching, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. These two, one and two in the Greek, kind of stand out a little bit, almost as a primary piece, teaching and fellowship. Very, very important. That's where we get our understanding of of holding Scripture to the highest authority. Three, communion. So it says the breaking of bread, communion. We'll get into that. Four, prayer. And five, of course, the Holy Spirit power and influence. Now, we'll quickly go through these. If you're writing down notes, um, I know that each and every one of these topics within discipleship could be a sermon series. So we're going to go quickly through them, starting with one, teaching. And what I want to say about this is, first and foremost, it says that they continuously, steadfastly, in one single mind, considered to be, uh, learn the apostles' doctrine. Now, I said Christianese a little bit. Doctrine is kind of one of those words of Christianese we, we use. But really, it's the testimony of what the apostles witnessed. It's the testimony of what Jesus had taught them. They relied, the church relied on the apostles to communicate to them who Jesus was and what he had done. Teaching and growing an understanding of the scriptures is vital to Christian discipleship. You know, we we sometimes get up here and we say the apostles creed, what we believe. We we read different things. We say the Lord's prayer. Now, within the apostles creed, there's, there's these statements about God, about the Trinity. Well, what's the Trinity? What are the three persons of the Trinity? It says that he was uh, created in the spirit, conceived in the spirit, born of a virgin. Well, what's that mean? We say we believe in God. Well, what God? How many gods? These are what we do with teaching. This is why we engage in spiritual formation. We engage around these topics so that we can know what Jesus has taught us. What has been held in the church, what we can what we can look at with different facts and different observations. We can know these things and we can believe them with confidence. And it's, that's why it's so important with our, our children's ministry is that we're teaching children. We're teaching youth the essentials of our faith, what this cross is all about, what we have devoted our life to. And that's what the early church did in discipleship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. There's this saying that says, he who, has, uh, he who knows the why can overcome any how. We've got to know the why. Your kid, the youth, they're going to come up to you and say, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we have communion? Why do we worship Jesus? Why do we say holy, holy? And you've got to have an answer. And if not have an answer, you've got to know where to send them to have an answer. You've got to be able to understand these things. And if you don't know them, we encourage you to engage in them. And that's what we're here for. That's what the church is here for. And of course, it's the pastor's job, it's the teacher's job to be unoriginal in their doctrine. Not in the sense that I come here as a seminary grad, like I learned something you know, that's different and blows everyone's mind and stirs. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be unoriginal, to 
to show what the truth is from the scripture. The same truth that was taught Jesus to the apostles is taught to us. Two, fellowship, the Greek word here, koinonia. It has an idea of sharing, of association, participation in something. So as Christians, as a church, we share the same Lord Jesus. We were singing with one voice, we sing holy, holy. I look forward to the day where Revelation, it talks about they're all, all, all people are standing before the throne of God and no one can open the seal except Christ the Lamb. He comes and opens the seal and everyone sings with one voice. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the same love that we share, the same guide for life, the same desire to worship. Struggles are, are the same. Our victories are the same. Our job of living for Him is the same. And of course, the joy of communicating this good news to others is the same. So they devoted themselves to teaching and to sharing in the victory of Christ. Three, communion, the breaking of bread. Now this was most likely a common meal. And we, can, we see evidence of this and how Apostle Paul speaks to them about how communion should be done. So it was most likely a common meal that they ate together. But then there was a time where they took the common elements and they remembered what Christ had done. They broke the bread and they taught, here's the breaking of Christ's body, broken for you. Take ye and eat all of it. They dined with Christ in a very real way. His grace was, was, was portrayed in a very real way. Here's the blood of the new covenant. You know what we're speaking about? The new covenant, right? Not the old, but now the new poured out in Christ's blood. And this was all done to the, according to the scriptures. Communion is a physical display of Christ's love. That's why we do it. We dine. We commune with the Lord. This is why we love plays and we love stories. Why? Because we're acting out the greater truth. This is an acting out of Christ's love. It's a physical, real dining with God. Communion, so important. They devoted themselves to prayer. Another huge topic, uh, Pastor Doug, he had a great sermon on prayer early um, in the summer here on the Life Together. But I just want to remind you again, are you devoted to prayer are you devoted to prayer? There's this great quote from Leonard Ravenhill from the 20th century. It always just reaches to my heart and it says this. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, but few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, but few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, that is prayer, we fail everywhere. Now this is not to say that the pastors and singers and payers and organizers are not important. They absolutely are, and they're gifts. They're, they're so needed. But without prayer, we lose our foundation. We lose our communication. We lose the power of God in a real way. Prayer changes you. It's important. And the early church was devoted to prayer. Are you devoted to prayer? Fifth, the Holy Spirit, power, and influence. Now notice, with these five marks of discipleship, you can't take them away. You can't take either of these away. The whole Jenga block, Jenga block tower falls apart. It's not just I can add or take one. No, these are important because they're scriptural. 
Now, you can take a lot away. As Tom Christie showed us, you know, you're the church. This is what the church acts out. So when you, no matter what church you go to, is this going on in that church? Are these things going on in that church? More importantly than I, I go to the church because the music's greater. I like the pastor, whatever it is. No, are, are these marks happening? Is this discipleship happening amongst the people? It says clearly in verse 43, the Greek word phobos, which is awe, fear, reverence. It's most likely, it's most commonly used as fear. But it says the power of God was evident because fear came upon every one of them. Awe came upon every one of them. One of the greatest, most powerful works God can do is to change the human heart towards a reverent awe, fear, majesty of the Lord. The power of God is evident here amongst these people because he became more important than their possessions. He became more important than what was going on around them. I think one of the most things we've lost in the 21st century is the reverent fear of the Lord. A reverent understanding of his holiness and our position before him. No, not to, not to crush you, to slap you, to hurt you, but to bless you and to realize that you come before the God of the universe. The one who made the Milky Way and the galaxies holds all things in his hands. And it says in the, in the, in the Hebrews, it says, you come to a mountain. I mean, you no longer come to the mountain that could be touched like the Hebrews did. And, and the Lord came upon Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments with great power and glory and lightning and fire. And they saw his glory on the mountain and he would speak. And it says that the Israelites would clog their ears not to hear another word because it was so terrifying. This God has come into the flesh and has become sin so that we could become his righteousness and his dwelling within us in, in spirit and in power. The early church knows this. They were devoted to that reverence. Oh my, if we knew the Holy Spirit's power dwelt with us, what could it do to our lives? His authority, His influence. And nothing has changed. It's for you today. As it says, Acts 2, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, a sense of fear. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, the twelve, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone who might have need. Now stick with me here because remember I talked about Passover. Many, many Jews were coming into town and they were, they really were congesting the town and there weren't that many hotels. There wasn't that many Best Westerns or, uh, Motel 8s. So really, the, the early Jews, they had this Airbnb style system. They opened up their, their, their rooms and their house and they would just cram people in for Passover. So there was this huge influx. And more than 3,000 people had just signed up to be Christians. Now what the early Christian churches, they took this hospitality, this Jewish tradition of Passover, and they made it an everyday thing. And you can study revival, and you see any time the, the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way, this happens. People don't want to leave. They want to be where God's power is. There's this, this immediate sense of urgency. And when you come before the majesty of God on high, everything just seems to dissolve. Worries and fears and material things. So many people who stayed there, these 3,000 believers, they didn't have jobs or family. And so they had to share to survive. And there was an absolute sense of urgency. Jesus is coming back. They showed true faith in their selflessness, right? Discipleship should never lose this sense of urgency. 
Hear me. Nothing's changed. Time has gone on, but the commission remains the same. The urgency of the early Christians should be upon you. Look at how it blew things up. We didn't we don't just come here to do church, right? This is a launching point. This is a terminal You're, you're to be sent out into the world. You're to be sent out like John Piper says, like arrows in the night from an archer's quiver. You're to be sent out with this sense of urgency. Don't get caught up in necessarily, you know, well, I feel like now is the time that Jesus might be coming back. So we should really hop on. it. It's like, no, the urgency is now. He could be at any moment. And, you know, whatever, that's not the point. Because you have a mission. You have a time and a place, a personality, a set of skills and gifts and a knowing that is for now. That was meant for this moment. Do not lose this sense of urgency. Now, side note here, side note, which is this is a huge, huge point, because I don't want you to be deceived in our understanding of what's going on here in the church. This is a warning. We shouldn't regard what's going on here in the early church as early communism or socialistic ideas. This communal living, it was voluntary. It was temporary particularly in the Jerusalem church because of this influx. You can see in Acts 4 and Acts 5 where Peter says, don't sell your stuff here unless you're prepared to do it. It was never forced socialism. It was never forced communism. These, the, the church didn't decide to go and start a new revolution in, in the markets. This was for the church. We're reading here in Acts 2 what happened to the church, God's chosen vessel for the world. We know Jesus, he approaches the same way. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. If I wanted to raise my kingdom or my markets or my capitalism, whatever it may be, they'd be fighting. But they're not. And my, my, I'm not here to point you towards any way. I'm not here to make a marketing, this capitalism, none of that. Just don't let anyone take this verse and put it in a political category. Okay? Your allegiance is to Christ. And you are first and foremost a member of the church. You're a member of the church and the church acts differently than the world around it. And it's the vessel for how God is going to reach a lost world. The church is meant to worship God, to learn his word together, but is meant to do something more, right? So these verses are so important. God wants us to share our lives with one another, to share our lives with one another. It says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is God's recipe, his, his prescription for church growth. If we take care to follow the model here in Acts, these five marks of discipleship, God will take care of growing the church himself. As you're one of your pastors, I would much rather see this church grow deep than wide because I know depth ultimately, if it be God's will, will grow wide. I'm not interested in filling seats as much as I am for you to know the Lord and for the Lord to have drawn you here. Heaven forbid you come to the church because of me or any other pastor or of the worship or the seats are comfy. No, it's because the Lord added to this number. The Lord added to this number. That's my great hope. I can never rely on this doofus to draw anyone. It needs to be the Lord. That's it. It's his growth, as the Apostle Paul says. We simply water. We simply feed. But it's his growth. So, lastly here, the application for First Covenant Church here in Salina, Kansas. Here are some helpful pointers. These are not everything that encompasses discipleship here, but these are some things that I would love for you to think about. First, get in a life group. Get in a life group. We're a big church. You've got to be in fellowship with one another. You've got to be asking these big questions, being in discussion with one another. 
We're challenging you for eight weeks in this fall from September, from the week of September 15th to November 3rd to get in a life group. Just eight weeks. Let me say it again. Just eight weeks. If you're a host, it's just eight weeks. So if you sign up for a life group, you're not in a life group till the end of time. Okay? There will be a decisive break. The same goes for our host. So I'm challenging you to get in a life group. If when you go out the doors today, you'll see a table. It's a merce. Um, our series this fall, starting on the 8th, is going to be going through the Torah. We're going to be from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And we're using these books called Immerse, which I'll show you in a video here. But they're a little different because they're, read, they're, they're set up like a novel. And it's a cool way for people that may have never read the Bible to first engage with the scriptures. Okay, next. Volunteer to teach children and youth. Once again, we're a big church. We've got big programs. We need your help teaching our children. We cannot do it without you. You cannot rely on the director or the pastor to do it all. You have so many gifts. I saw the amount of teachers in this room. I saw them in the last service and the first service. We need you to teach our kids. They are the future. They need to know the truth, the why, so they can overcome anyhow the culture will throw at them. We need you. We need you, our children, our youth programs. Come to spiritual formation, 9.30. We have a great spiritual formation class. We, we do this in discussion. You can ask questions. You can, you can talk about things. It's so important for you to know the whys. Engage in mission. Our life groups are going to be a great way to engage in mission. But we have so many mission partners here in Salina. How are you engaging with them? What's the Lord calling you to do with them? We try to bring them up here as often as possible. Reach out to them. Meet them. Ask us about missions you can get involved in. We have local missions and we have international missions. In this church, you have the opportunity to go to Guatemala and all kinds of different places to serve the Lord if the Lord is calling you. Engage. And then, of course, maybe some of these things are just they're too far for you and you, you, it's, it, it's not working. Well, I encourage you. This is, my, this is how I look at it as well. Get to know your neighbor. Just get to know your neighbor. Mother Teresa was asked by a journalist, how, what are you doing? How do you start this? How do you start this orphanage? This is amazing. And Mother Teresa said, just do you know your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor? If each and every one of you got to know your neighbor, imagine what that would do. And then, of course, pray for favor with all. I'll end with this, and then we'll, we'll show our Merce video. Um, but I'm reading a great book from Robert Gowdy called Growing Up, How to Be a Disciple Who Makes a Disciple. It's a great book. And there's a quote where he says this. When the church becomes an end in itself, it ends. When Sunday school, as great as it is, becomes an end in itself, it ends. When small group ministry becomes an end in itself, it ends. When the worship service becomes an end in itself, it ends. What we need is for discipleship to become the goal. And then the process never ends. The process is fluid, it is moving, it is active, it is a living thing. It must continually go on. Every disciple must make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This challenge is on you, Christian, you beloved. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations.